welcome back to Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle. (laughs) And think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started Word Up to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my Locals platforms, where for as little as $5 a month, you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe tribe, and lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, Word Up also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals and or Patreon. And as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum languaging coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books, find me on dannycats.com as well as on quantumlanguaging.com. Okay, I think that's it for our housekeeping. Buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Well, hello, superstars. It is your pal, Danny, here with a quantum languaging offering. It's been a minute since I have led a webinar. I did put out a poll and overwhelming consensus was that folks are really jazzed for my Language of Sovereign Authority webinar. This webinar and this technology that is informing it is what has rendered me 
according to the Gold Pill Podcast, the most dangerous woman on the internet. I am very clear that this quantum languaging technology and specifically the language of sovereign authority is what has the big tech fucktards and the powers that were shaking in their boots when I put something out and what does have me being so targeted, so shadow banned, so censored because what I am offering with this technology is an antidote to all of their nonsense. The language of sovereign authority is a technology that allows us to set our frequency permanently to that of sovereign agency, uh, complete unrelenting empowerment and unfuckwithable badassery. What it does is that it allows us to use our language and our thoughts to align our frequency with sovereign authority. So regardless of what is happening in the external world, regardless of what false flags are, are pulled next, of what illegal unconstitutional mandates they attempt to foist upon us, we get to remain sovereign because of our internal frequency, which is being consistently set and maintained and cultivated by way of our every word. So this is really a must attend webinar for everyone who is choosing to stand in our sovereign authority in the face of increasing attempts to chip away at our freedom, at our critical thinking, at our autonomy, and our God given right to decide what is best for us, for our bodies, for our children without the state attempting to impose their sniveling little snouts in our business. So um, it is a three hour webinar. I'm leading two sessions. The first one is Sunday, June 25th at 12 p.m. Mountain Time. The second one is Monday, June 26th at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. Sign up for whichever one works best with your schedule. If neither work and you can't be there in real time, no worries. The webinar will be recorded and everyone who registers will be sent the recording link after the fact to which you will have lifetime access. I recommend signing up immediately. I recommend sending the link to all of your friends because the more that the people in our community are hip to this technology, um, the more we can act as an additional set of ears, right? To um, help remind one another and offer reflections should we hear ourselves slipping back into languaging patterns that are not supporting our sovereign authority? It's really a more the merriest kind of scenario. Registration information is included in the comment section below. If you have any questions, you can find me through my website, dannycats.com. I'm so excited to share this phenomenal webinar with you. I can guarantee that no one else on the planet is offering anything even vaguely close to this and this technology really truly works in terms of opening doors, in terms of rendering us impervious to attempts to clamp down on our liberty, our freedom of expression, movement, etc. It really is a, a game-changing tool. So I so look forward to seeing you at my webinar and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun.
Well, hello, superstars, and welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today, I am joined by Word Up podcast favorite, Robert Phoenix. This is a non-monogamous inquiry. I'm talking to different astrologers on the sham that is the cusp. And then in the meantime, this stuff has come up around RFK in Israel. And again, like I would love to talk to you about it just so you can help me and us understand like the Kennedy's history with Israel and what may or may not really be going on with that. Sure. To the best of my ability, if you want, we can even look at Israel's chart too, which um, I have on tap. We we can check that out. So yes. I would yeah. love that. I would love yeah. that. Cool. I'm game. I'm game. I'm all awesome. in. Yeah. And is there anything else like super up that, that you're so to talk about that I haven't mentioned as of yet? You know, I, I, I guess I could chime in on the woke parade, but it's just so prevalent in everywhere right now where it's like, there's so many other places or venues that you can talk about it with. We could talk about it a little bit in context with astrology um, with Pluto and Aquarius Sure. And, 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 uh, we, we can, we can, you know, kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit. And, um, yeah, I think that, that might be worth talking about since we're talking about astrology today. Cool. I love that. And I also am welcoming any perspectives on Pluto and Aquarius that extend beyond me getting my ass kicked and handed it to me in such a tough way right now. Cause it's just sitting on my son, like mocking me. Well, that's a real, you know, not everybody goes through a sun, a Pluto sun conjunction in their lifetime. Uh, I did. I did. But for me, for me, <laughs> for me, Pluto conjuncted my son, uh, 1969, 1970. And that period was really hard for me as a kid. I went through a very difficult time with moving and a, a new set of friends, but it wasn't just friends. It was like life conditions with my father or my mother. And uh, it was a heavy, heavy time, really heavy time. And it, it initiated me into um, in, in some ways the underworld, right? Like my, my innocence was popped when Pluto went, was at those final degrees of Virgo, just before it went into uh, Libra. So it's just, it's an interesting thing to happen. And, and and depending on where you are in your life and what stage you're in, Pluto's going to have just a very, very different effect. For me, it was my childhood. And, and, um, but there was also something really interesting that happened during that time as well with Pluto on my son and um, feeling like I was way older than other kids in a lot of ways. And, um, uh, even the thoughts that I was having, the books I was reading that were very, very different than other kids, which was, you know, again, this kind of transformation that Pluto will bring. And again, it just depends on where you are, you know, on your, on your journey. And so you're, you're, you're in a very interesting place because, you know, you're at an age where you're to some degree, you're kind of peaking, right. In terms of your perspective and who you are as an identity and you're wired into the times themselves. And uh, two years ago, you had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction right on your sun, right? Which is a precursor for Pluto. And Pluto is merciless, right? That's the nature of Pluto. It's absolutely merciless. And you don't make deals with Pluto. 
you know, like just take a little bit, please just take a little bit, leave something behind for whatever. No, Pluto, Pluto doesn't play that way. Neptune and Uranus, you can, there are different kind of arrangements with Neptune and Uranus. Like with Neptune, you can surrender, you can give it away, right? Maybe you can paint, you know, <laughs> whatever, right? Like it is like, you know, okay, God, this is above my pay grade, you know, Calgon, take me away, right? Nep you can do that with Neptune. Um, Uranus, you can actually be creative with Uranus. You know, you can change things up because Uranus encourages you to have some kind of revolution or change in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Pluto, no, and there's no middle ground with Pluto. It is black or white, right? So you, Danny, as an identity, everything gets challenged. It all gets challenged. And in and, and Aquarius, my God, I mean, you're getting, you know, like when Pluto is done with you, you'll, uh, hopefully you'll still be uh, one gender. But when Pluto is done with you, there, we'll be dealing with a bit of a different Danny Katz, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel that. And it's giving me, and like actually speaking about woke culture specifically, it's giving me this appreciation that like life isn't fair, suffering is and any allegations about life needing to be kinder to us because of some mythology we carry in our head is bullshit. Like sometimes it's just sucky and uncomfortable and, and, and that's fine and nothing's wrong and it's not a problem. That's just part of the path. Well, it's, it's really interesting because when you look at sort of the new age fairy tales that really started to pop up in like the seventies, eighties and nineties, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's they're all based on this idea of this egalitarian Aquarian world that we would all kind of inhabit and live in, and everybody would be living their best fairy tale. And um, I think Pluto and Aquarius, at least in the beginning, it, it shows instead of enlightenment and darkenment, and we see how dark things are. We see how dark the potential for groupthink is. We see how dark the potential for um, systems of information and communication all being aligned under kind of one rubric and one umbrella, right? That's all very Pluto and Aquarius stuff. Very big brothery, right? Very, very big brothery. Um, but I, but I, I think that uh, ultimately we'll find something through this period. But initially in those early degrees of a sign, man, it's really powerful. It's like the gates are open, right? And that's what we've seen. I mean, there's no, there's there's no mistake that once Pluto went into, into Aquarius, uh, the LGBTQAI plus thing just went off the charts, right? Just completely off the charts. And I was telling people about this Pluto and Aquarius moment that we're just briefly experiencing now, and it's like sticking your head in inside of a, a portal to another world, kind of like a Rick and Morty episode, right? Yeah. Like we're, li we're living in Rick and Morty world now. And, but, it, but, but when Pluto goes retrograde, it will kind of revert back a little bit and it'd be like, Oh, well, gee, remember that? Oh man, that was fucking crazy. Right. It's like all of a sudden the drip line is off and we're on to something else, but it comes back again next year, but we're getting this kind of preview of, of what this world can be like um, in the dark side with the dark expression of Aquarius. And other than the people that are, you know, trying desperately to be recognized and held up as a functioning member of society, everybody else is really not having it. 
and trying to figure out, well, what do we do with this, right? How do we, how do we combat what's going on here? And this is a really interesting question and people don't really understand the dynamics of like what's taking place. So we'll take um, Bud Light, for instance, right? And the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing, which again happens right, pretty much right after Pluto goes into Aquarius. And of course, the, the so-called rights knee-jerk reaction is to boycott Bud Light, to show Bud Light a real lesson, right? We're going to show them. There's ramifications for that. And I've, I've talked about that on my show a couple of times where there are people outside of the corporate structure of Budweiser that pay a penalty for this. These are the people that drive trucks or distributors, right? If you, if their product isn't sold, it's not moving. Those people don't have jobs, right? So, you know, this is a really insidious way to get people to get the people Americans to destroy their own businesses and institutions and to bring us one step closer to whatever they want to roll out as a result of this. And so Americans have really no recourse except for boycotting or, or making a big deal out of something. But what they're really doing is that they're participating in their own demise, but it's a hard one, right? Because what do you do? Well, you keep buying Bud Light. And so you validate their, their marketing campaign, their advertising campaign, and Alyssa Schneider Hayden or whatever her name is, that she's such a great hire, right? You do that or you boycott and then the company hits this and all these local distributors have to lay people off and you've got more people on the dole, right? So it's a really hard place because people are trying to voice their displeasure. Um, it, the, the, the better alternative would be to have a parallel system set up and have you know people... Uh, ready to go to come to work for your brewery or your distributor, but you know, we're not there, you know, not at that level. We don't have the parallel system set up, even something like Chick-fil-A, you know, Chick-fil-A, which by the way, people were shocked that Chick-fil-A was, you know, kind of going woke. I'm like, that's, if you pay, if you paid any attention to really what Chick-fil-A is about, they have been a part of this game for a while. And I did a show back in 2020 where I looked at, um, you know, the Aspen Institute and, yes. and right. So I went through and I looked at the roster of, this is a while ago, the last um, Aspen Ideas Festival that they had prior to COVID, I looked at who attended and the, the attendees list is quite interesting. Are they all like WEF, like scumbags? Well, there, there are, <clears throat> there's a lot of grooming that goes on at Aspen. Uh, one of the people that was a, a participant was Alicia Garza for Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. but she wasn't listed as Black Lives Matter. She had some other uh, nonprofit that she was fronting. And <clears throat> what they also had were a number of people from, of all places, Minnesota, right? Like St. Paul, Minneapolis, all these kinds of small towns. Like, why are all, and it was a special group. Like, it was a special group that they have brought there for the Aspen Ideas Institute. Well, what happens in 2020? You've got George Floyd in Minneapolis, oh, right? What a coincidence. coincidence, right? So then they have these scholarship funds, like foundational scholarship funds. One is the Bush family. So the Bush family is always bringing people to the Aspen Institute of Ideas. And Chick-fil-A is another, right? Chick-fil-A oh. is, they're sending their people to the Aspen Institute. Why? Because they want them groomed. Right. They want them groomed for global business. So Chick-fil-A now is 
doing the same thing and people are, oh my God, can you believe it? Of course you can fucking believe it. Every single major league baseball team except one is uh, indulging in Pride Month, including including. Oh, that's a, and it's a whole month, like a, a whole, whole month. month. This is all. This Mother's is all. Day, yeah. one day, but yeah. the gay thing—it's uh, just so yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. What is? What do we do? Right. Well, we that's boy- my question because you don't. You personally don't support boycotts. And rescinding our financial. Well, here's here's the deal. First, first of all, I would never fucking drink Bud Light to begin with. Okay, (laughs) so I don't have to boycott Bud Light. It's not a part of my palate. I don't go to Chick Fil A. Right. You know, as much as everybody loves their chicken sandwich, I you know I I don't try not to eat wheat. Right. And and last thing I checked was their sandwich had wheat in it. Right. So so but I would say if you're going to do that, do it because you want to have something more healthy in your body, right? Or if you're going to, you know, divest yourself of a beer, do it because you want to drink a better beer, you know? And I think those things actually matter, by the way. I think they matter. I think the intentionality matters. But if you want to make a statement, by all means, but they're going to be covered, you know, they're totally going to be covered. BlackRock will cover their ass. Of course, BlackRock's the one who's forcing this. It just feels like, I mean, part of, what I've been going through in this Pluto and Aquarius is realizing this game is so rigged. Totally rigged. That everything I thought I would accomplish in my adult life is off the table because that's not how the world works. So it has me in this big pause of like, this feels actually impenetrable. And I've been taking solace in like, the tiny moments of voting with my dollars. And like here in New Mexico, you know, they're like, you know, like Meow Wolf is this big thing. I know Meow Wolf, yeah. Yeah, so Meow Wolf was requiring proof of vaccines a couple years ago. And there was a big concert there a few months ago that I wanted to go to. And my friend who was promoting it, putting up, was, you know, asked me if I was coming. And I said, I'm not giving them my money. And he's like, well, they're not, they don't have that policy anymore. And I'm like, I don't reward apartheid even after the fact. And I'm the crazy one for having this perspective, but I also feel like that's out of integrity for me to to be giving my money to these businesses. And everyone just seems to have forgotten. It's so convenient that we all forgot what they did a year ago because we wanna go to their stuff. So there's no recourse. So nothing's ever gonna change. Right, and I think when you get into Pluto, the intensity of Pluto is that you realize, I mean, you have to make sacrifice. I mean, that's the thing with Pluto. Like, Like you're all in or you're all out. Right. right. And, and, and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm just, you know, there are certain things I'll, I'll never patronize or, or go back to like, there's a restaurant in not far from here in Johnson city. And I was there for my 60th birthday and I was treated really shabbily because I didn't have a mask on. Uh, on even, birthday. Yeah. My birthday, and even though my girlfriend walked in without a mask was seated without a mask was seating, sitting there without a mask. I had this uh, this waiter who clearly sized me up as like a boomer dude or whatever. It started laying a mass trip on me, and I got really fucking pissed at him. And I walked out. And I walked out. Took my took my girlfriend, and you know he just treated her shabbily. And I'll never go back to that restaurant. And it's a good restaurant. And I actually talked with the owner the next day, and he was apologizing, tripping all over himself. I don't care. I'll never go back. 
Right. So, I mean, it feels like it's the last vestige of people power is where we put our dollars. And I'm, and this is something that I've noticed. Emily and I've talked about this. We're, we're seeing an uptick in the weaponization of customer service, but I see that tied in with the woke thing where like, if you use the waiters, like if you misgender the waiter, then all of a sudden there's this like clown world flip where they can treat the customer like shit. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you probably get more of that in more typically urban areas. Um, I don't see that much out of it out here, but this guy at this restaurant was one of those dudes. He was one of those dudes and I fit his profile and he was, he was going to make me pay in that moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so like vigilante woke thing. I, I experience it mostly like Apple care or AT&T or something. And they're like, they're they're so thin skinned now so it's like you know like i got a little stressed um when i was on the phone with like wix customer care and he's like i'm gonna need you to relax and i'm like i'm sorry are you telling me what state i need to embody wow. for you to help me and he hung up on me he like literally hung up on me wow. and that is happening more and more and more and i'm wondering if that's part of like, is that tied in with Pluto and Aquarius with this woke ridiculousness? Yeah, I mean, I th I think so. Because anytime you get into kind of an anonymous situation, people tend to lose their civility, right? Whether it's right. online and Twitter or a customer service person who can't look you in the eye and say, hey, what's wrong? You know, can we fix this? Or, right. I feel like there's that. And then there's also something more existential, which is that customer service person's job is, you know, it's whistling by the graveyard right now, right? Because they have, they have customer service tools lined up, set up, ready to go where it's all automated. You and I would have a conversation. You would know that you would have to be having a conversation with an AI. The AI could translate the conversation into any language They've shown that uh, the AI can provide uh, 25 to 30 layers of complexity with any kind of given phone call, right? So that's all waiting to go. Right? I feel and like it's already here. I feel no, it's, like oh, it's here, but but it's not it's not deployed universally. Really? Right? No, it's I mean, not. Because I I wonder often how many humans on this planet are legit humans. That's a different or question, but yeah, I agree with you. So when I'm talking to these customer service people who they all seem to be following the same script of getting so offended at things, I'm, I feel like they're, this is how they're programming the AI now. And I had a, a customer service guy, well, I, I honestly don't know if it was a man or a woman. It was some non-binary thing. And um, at one point it's, it, the being or the AI or whatever it was said, well, you could just create a little password or something. And I'm like, a little password or something? Is this how swishy our customer service has gotten? Like it's so unprofessional. Well, it's also, you're also playing roulette because sometimes you get somebody from another country. Most uh, of the time. Yeah, right. Or, so, you know, I'd have to say that by and large, I'm pretty okay for the most part with customer service i try not to lean on them too much although just i've just moved my mother and um it wasn't the customer service but the actual service that i was having a hard time with 
um, the customer service people are just kind of grunts and they can't do very much. Right. Right. But th- their jobs are, their jobs are all in jeopardy at some point. And, but when you go to, when you, customer service is like one of those last kind of bastions of like the service oriented economy. Like if you really needed a job, you can get a customer service job and you could work for an airline or a product or whatever. And most of the times you could work out of home. That's getting close to going away. Right. So we just keep whittling down, uh, you know, the manufacturing and uh, the automation and even now in the service industry. So I think there's, there's, we're also living with this, I, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better term, existential, existential dread that this world is over, right. That it's over. And where do we go from here? And I feel like, not to say that. So we're going to talk about cusps, right? Yeah. And there is a sense at times that we are on the cusp of a change, right? We are on the cusp, of, which is different than cusp with signs. Mm-hmm. And we move back and forth. We can use Pluto as an example, because Pluto has been in Capricorn since 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've gone through two passes of the Pluto return with the US, we're gonna have one more starting in August. It's the last gas for Pluto in Capricorn. Uh, Basically, I mean, we'll have one more election with Pluto and Capricorn in November of next year. And then after that, it's Pluto and Aquarius from here on out. So my sense is that we're probably gonna have the last presidential election in 2024. I think it's the last one. After Pluto and Aquarius happens, we get to what 2028 we're two years away from agenda 2030 like what's going to happen in those four years do you have i mean in terms of i feel like we already lost the presidential elections like after what happened in 2020 like this is we're still gonna play we'll we'll still we'll still play this we'll play the script it'll happen but it'll be the last one okay And, and and the reason i say that is because um one of two things is going to happen. Number one, we'll either have some kind of uh, global order, in which case you won't need an American president, right? Be rendered one world government. Right. Or we'll head into some kind of balkanization mm-hmm. with this country. And, and what pay, does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it would be like Texas would be its own thing. Uh, maybe it would team up with Oklahoma, you know, balkanization, right? And and that balkanization could be statewide, but it could also be zones. Mm-hmm. And if you look at um, the Hunger Games, right? So you you have Snow, who's the president of Pan Am, but there are other presidents too, right? So if you also look at, um, you know, Gordon Michael Scallion, do you remember that guy at all? Yeah. So Gordon Michael Scallion was a, kind of an interesting character. He was around during the 90s. And he was one of these guys who was a scientist. And he had this experience where he he was like locked up for three days with his body completely like almost like a, like a coma, right? But then he comes out of it. But during those three days, he sees all these things and he comes back with some very interesting abilities, and one of the things that he talks about or talked about back then was this map 
of the United States, which looks a lot like how Casey saw the United States at a certain point, that the United States looked very different, that the the Mississippi River is almost like a small inlet sea. Uh, And he talked about the political structure of the United States moving forward. And there were, I think, four or five presidents that they all represented different regions. And I also think that that comes up in John Teeter um, and whether or not John Teeter was a LARP or real. Uh, he talks about the same thing, that there's more than one president, right? So with Pluto and Aquarius, I could, I could see that if we're in that model, if we're in something where it's no longer this massive superstructure that we have these regions and the regions are connected but they're not all under one umbrella. And so there's a representative from each of those regions, which I think is quite possible. And maybe it would be the most healthy thing. Um, but, you know, that's going to be Pluto and Aquarius territory. Things are going to be different. So we're we're kind of at the last gasp here with Pluto and a Capricorn. But we're getting, we're, we're sticking our head, you know, through the portal. We're seeing how crazy fucking weird this thing could be. Right? Yeah. Super weird. Super uncomfortable. Um yeah. Yeah, for me, it feels like this tight squeeze. All right, so moving into cusps, because, you know, with Pluto at zero degrees Aquarius, I um, am a zero degrees Aquarius. And my whole life, I've been told I'm on the cusp. And that has never gelled with me. I'm like, Capricorn has nothing to do with me. I don't resonate with that sign. I don't understand why we're being lumped in when 29 degrees of one sign feels very different from zero degrees of the next. So can you enlighten sure, us? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, from my experience as a 29 degree sun sign and an astrologer, uh, you know, the idea of a cusp sounds nice, but you, you're either one sign or the other, Right. And and you may have you may have some traits of the next sign. Like I have three planets in Libra, mm-hmm. so I may have some Libra traits. Um, but I'm a 29 degree Virgo Sun, which is the final degree. It's the anoretic degree. There's no energy left at 29 degrees. It's zero. Not I mean not not zero like you, but there's it's flat. There's nothing left, which brings with it its own kind of consequences and story. But you're in zero Aquarius and. So this is how, in my estimation, signs work, okay? When you get to the final degrees of a sign, so we'll go 27, 28. Those two are kind of interesting because the sign is, I like to, I, I like to think of the sign at that point as a um, star that's in a supernova, Okay. right? Like, like if you, I know you like, I like to use this example. So Bill Murray is born at 28 degrees Virgo. Okay. If you, if you watch Bill Murray, he looks, he's like out of control, right? He's like this kind of supernova. You never know what he's going to do. He's acting out of Pebble beach, right? When we get to the 27th and particularly the 28th degree, it's like, blah, you know, it's just blah. And then you go to 29 and it goes dark, right? So you get the supernova effect at 29, 28 degrees, 29, it goes dark. And literally, you have like a black hole at the 29th degree. And then when you get to the next degree, which is zero, you have a newborn sign, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a new star is born out of the void of the 29th degree, which is the black hole. So the zero degree is more potent 
than any other degree in terms of astrology. You're more Aquarian than any other Aquarian you're ever going to meet. You know, that has nothing to do with Capricorn at all. Nothing whatsoever, right? So this idea of the cusp with signs, it's it's a not it's kind of a quaint notion, but there's you know, there's there's in my estimation, there's nothing to it. You're one sign or the other. So I'm curious to know like where you think the myth of cusp came in, but I'm also curious to know how you experience 29 degrees Virgo like how does that express through you since you're living that degree so I think cusps for houses in astrology are interesting Mm -hmm. right because if you have a planet that's within five degrees of the next house Mm -hmm. as an astrologer I begin to read for that house okay and the closer the degree the more influence. So I think cusps of houses mm-hmm. are very important, mm-hmm. right? Very, very important. And you can have a little real estate at like maybe five or six degrees, but really at five degrees, I'm starting to look at what's going on in the next house. Okay. So maybe it's because there's a transposition of house and sign. Mm-hmm. Because I think we could have a dialogue about the house, but not about the sign. Right. That's not happening. Um, as far as my 29 degree sun, so it, it's weird. It's kind of a weird uh, degree for a number of reasons because I was born on an eclipse too. Okay. So, so I have an anoretic sun and I was born just like a day and a half after an eclipse. Mm-hmm. So that plays into uh, my, my, uh, my expression or experience. And also you'll find a lot of uh, anoretic people are born around the 22nd of a month. Okay. And so when you have the number 22, there tends to be a higher expectation of like what an individual can achieve with a 22 vibration. And I felt an immense amount of pressure in my life to do something with my life, like bigger than, and there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a, a reasonable job or profession where you're adding value to people's lives. There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, we, you know, our world turns on that. But I always felt like I needed to do something bigger or more than that. It was just something internal that I felt. So there's the pressure of that with the 22nd and the, you know, what we call the master number, and then the sign where there's nothing left. So it's hard, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult because I mean, I'm a Virgo, but you know, I've often been scolded for not being Virgo enough, especially with my living environment. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit tricky. It's a bit tricky because I feel like I'm kind of wrapping these lessons up, which mm-hmm. is really what the 29th degree is about. Like, okay, yeah, I got to learn all this Virgo shit. You know, I, I would just love to hang out and, eat great food and have great conversation and go to parties and, you know, have fun with all my Libra planets, but you know, I can't do that. So, you know, I'm hanging out on this 29 degree for a reason. And the other thing that I've experienced in my life, and I, and I came to find this out a little bit later is that people that are born with the 29th degree will often go down a certain path and then they'll pull out for whatever reason. And I've had that on like, you know, more than one occasion. Mm 
where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this. Right. And so that's that, that, that part is connected to the whole anoretic experience and it will confuse people. And I, I can't tell you why. Right. I can't tell you why, but, but it's associated with being born with an anoretic degree. So, and, and what is, what is the definition of an anoretic degree? It's a 29th degree of the sign. Okay. There's, it's, there's nothing left. Like again, zero degrees. So in astrology, signs are broken up into decans. Mm-hmm. So you have the first decan, the second decan, and the third decan. And the first decan, just for the sake of um, the ease of math, would be zero to 10, mm-hmm. right? So you were born in the Aquarian decan. Mm-hmm. If you were born at, let's say, again, for the sake of argument, 11 degrees, mm-hmm. Aquarius, you would be born in the decan following the Aquarian decan. And in this case, it would be the Gemini decan. So the, the, those degrees basically from 10 to 20, so I think the decans are about 9.45 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But those, but that degree, those degrees of Aquarius would be different mm-hmm. than the first degrees. Number one, first 10 degrees, you're fully immersed in the sign, right? The further you get away from the sign, the further you get away from the influence of the sign. So you would take on some of the characteristics of the next air sign over. So for Aquarius, that would be Gemini. And then the third decan um, Aquarius would be the Libra decan. So each of those decans, Aquarius has, has a different expression in a lot of ways, but you're like the uncut version. You're like the Peruvian flake of <laughs> Aquarius. So it sounds like the 29th degree, like you said, is this nether region, like 28 is embodying like let's say if we're talking about Virgo, all of the Virgo, but then there's this like void of course before right. it bounces into exactly. Libra. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. So it makes even less sense to try to combine these absolutely cusps. absolutely because there's nothing left there, right? There's nothing left, and you know I'm, I'm clearly not a Libra, right? So yeah, it's kind of this no man's land, this interzone, uh, you know, between the signs. So there's. Yeah, I, there's no there's no cusp. The houses, absolutely, there's cusps of houses for sure. Um, but signs. Mm. Is there some sort of like elderhood at 29th degree or some sort of like acknowledgement of having every degree leading up to you? Or does that not apply because it's kind of a void of course? I don't know. It's 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 really weird. And and I and I don't think it lines up for everybody. Uh, in the same way, right. but, but in, um, do you, do you know, Arguez's system, the dream spell, do you know? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, in the dream spell, I'm 13 Caban. Okay. Which, which is the last degree of Caban, right. right? So I'm the last degree of Virgo right. and I'm the last degree of Caban. And, and I think for me, when I look at that and, and, you know, for uh, 13 Caban is I endure in order to evolve. And I feel like at a 29 degree, as a 29 degree Virgo, I've had to endure a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a result of that, there's an evolutionary process that occurs. And again, won't happen with every, every person, but for me, those two systems, they, they clearly line up because I'm at the end of Caban. I'm at the end of Virgo. Right. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, maybe the answer to your question, what's that? 
do you experience more endings than people who don't have 29 degree suns? I would say earlier in my life. Yes. Because, um, I'm born in the ninth month. Right. right. So that nine vibration in the first 30 years is all about letting go. Yep. And you know, like, you know, you know, cue up the Smiths, you know, how soon is now, or, you know, please let me get what I want this time. Right. That's what I've felt a lot like in my twenties. It just, it was just like, you know, when am I going to, when am I going to get it? Right. When am I going to get it? When am I going to get the, the girl, the job or the whatever. Yep. Uh, and, and just when I thought I would have something, it would go away. Right. And, and it was like, I had to learn how to let go. And the, you know, I, I mean the, on the relationship side, I learned how to let go, but I, I kind of went in the other direction. It's like, you know, I'll just, I'll just indulge in uh, serial monogamy here and I'll let go before you will. Right. So I, I kind of trained myself to go in a bit of a different direction. But yeah, I mean, that was hard. I mean, that was kind of, that was challenging. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then I went into to the second decan and everybody who has numerology, y'all, we all have numerology in our charts in our lives. So the first number that you're born with. So for, for you, uh, what, what is it? Uh, one, you're one and you're born on what the 21st or 22nd, 21st. So, yeah. So, so your first, your first stage, right? So we'll go back to decans in terms of numerology. We'll just say your first numerological decan would be based on that one, that one vibration, which is all about self-starting, right? Being an individual, uh, a bit of the magician, the application of will. You're kind of testing yourself against the world. Who am I? How does this work? What am I going to do? Or not even what am I going to do? I'm just going to do it and then I'll figure it out, right? That's like for your first 30 years. And then you move into the second um, phase of your numerological experience, which is the three. And you'll you'll be into you'll be in the three until about fifty eight, and threes are about being eclectic and try this on and try that on and try this on and try that on. And threes generally like to have fun, right? Like you know, boredom is the worst thing for a three, but also you know, floating around from one lily pad to the other um, can be fun. But you also may lose out on some depth and you know, hanging out for some with something for. A longer period of time so and and then what are you are you a dragon or something like that what's your what's your I'm uh, a wood pig. you're a wood pig okay so what year is that for you well it's supposed to be 71 but because the year because i'm january right but what, not like lumped in with 71 so 71 you're born in 71 72 72 okay like so for, for so for numerology that that matters right okay that matters. So 72, um, so it'd be nine. So you would come back to the one again. Mm -hmm. So, so you come back around to the one. So it would be, so from a numerological standpoint, you would start off for the first 30 years, figuring out who you are and figuring out, uh, you know, how you, you know, bounce up against this environment and this environment, but always with this idea of the self, right. And being kind of self-motivated, self-starting and wanting to work for yourself, all those things. Now you're in this phase where with the, the three is a bit more communal. It's like, who's in your sandbox with you? Like, who can you do things with? Who can you collaborate with? And then 58, you come back into the one and you're, but you'll come back into the one from a different place. Right. Maybe more, I wouldn't say more integrated, but I'll just say more integrated anyway. Yeah, we'll say more integrated. 
but that's where you would come back, right? So one, three, one, like that would be, that's your, that would be your cycle. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, and it fits too, right? Because as a zero degree Aquarian, you're at the very first part of the sign. You're more Aquarian than anybody else. So why wouldn't you like launch yourself kind of into the world in some ways and, and, you know, rebellious, defiant, whatever, right? You that's now for Aquarians that are born in the second month, which would be February Aquarians or those they're different, right? Because that's the two cycle and they're, they're learning about relationships and friendships and some very Aquarian stuff. But what's interesting because of Aquarius and you start off with that two cycle, there is also kind of a letting go because Aquarians are not really binary in some ways. It choose a binary number mm-hmm. and Aquarians are kind of beyond binary. Aquarians constellate with in a difference. To me, Aquarius is more like a six and it's more communal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so Aquarians have to learn kind of about those, those lessons with the two, right? Um, so it's kind of an interesting lesson. And so, yeah, they're friends. I mean, that's, that's the sign of Aquarius. It's all about agape and fellowship and community and friendship. And so when you get into that two cycle or that two phase, you realize that it's not just you and the other. There are other people that you you have to deal with, you know, in terms of relationship. So anyway, uh, this is your time, right? I mean, the next 20 years for you, even with Pluto on your son, should be really intense and powerful. And Pluto, it's at a certain point, you'll realize that, that Pluto on your son is a gift. Like you will realize, like, wow, man, I just had all this shit just burned away. Right. right? And what, what you're left with is like, you know, it's pure. It's the essence, mm-hmm. you know? So you're, you're, in, you're in the alchemizer, you're in the vulcanizer, you're in the chamber and you get melted down, but it's okay. Right. It's okay. And again, you look back on uh, December 21st, 2020, and that's when Jupiter and Saturn was right on your sun. And that precludes a 20 year period of, I think really major work for you, right? Cause you're getting the structure and the order of Saturn and then the opening and the possibility and potential with Jupiter working with you. So you're going through an initiatory phase and you'll it, it'll lighten up a little bit when Pluto goes retrograde, when it comes back again in December of next year. But the good news with that is that you know it's kind of often crawling at that point, right. right? And so you get to one, two, three, four degrees. Even when you get to like four or five degrees, and Pluto gets some separation from your Sun, you'll feel different. You'll feel like you've come through something, and whatever is not yours. You let it go, right? And whatever's yours after you have afterwards is yours. So, um, but it can be very intense. And especially like going through it now in this fucking world, you know, I mean, 10 years ago it would have been very different for you at Pluto. Yeah. But now it seems like your journey and your experience is tied into the world, you know, and tied into this reality. So you're gonna feel it really intensely really really intensely so it'll be interesting to see what happens (laughs) i look forward to it getting some distance from me where do you think this myth of the cusp came from and what function is it serving to have us buy into it you know i'll be honest with you i have no idea where it came from Mm -hmm. um i think there's probably some astrologer somewhere that that uh 
threw the idea out there. And I, and I think it's for some people, um, it's easier for them to say that I'm on the cusp versus like figuring out what sign they're born under. Mm-hmm. It's just easier. Oh, I'm on the cusp. Right. And there are some people, honestly, I mean, if I wanted to make a case, I could say, well, I feel really Libran, but it's not because I'm born on the cusp. I've got three fucking planets in Libra and they're all conjunct. Right. And so when Which people planets do you have in Libra, Mercury, Venus, and the moon, actually I have moon, Mercury conjunct and they're, like separated by one degree, a little too close, actually. Wow. And then, and then I have Venus, like a little further out, uh, but they're all conjunct together in Libra. That's so, it is a lot, and it, it's helpful. I mean, for me, it's helpful. Yeah. In the, in the work that I do, I can work with people. Yeah. Um, with all the Libra. Yeah, but uh, imagine with Mercury and Venus, like very diplomatic in how you communicate, diplomatic in how you're relating with other people. Yeah, I mean, the moon Berkeley conjunction was really hard as a kid um, because, man, it's separated by one degree. And I was just uh, I was so sensitive mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And uh, the moon is just in front of Mercury in my chart. So it's like emotions first and head after that. It, t- it took me a while to kind of, you know, work through a lot of that intense sensitivity around it. But at the end of the day, it's become you know, a pretty good ally because I'm pretty intuitive and I have a good memory and um, moon Mercury conjunctions, I think by and large are pretty interesting in astrology, but it took me a long time to kind of get through it, you know, because I was the kid that, you know, cried at school. Right. It was like, you That's know, tough for boys. it is tough for boys. I didn't do it often, but every now and then it would happen. Uh, and it would usually happen in like the worst fucking moment. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, but uh, it, it became it became more of a, of a gift than a bird. But that's astrology, you know. You after a while, you understand your chart. You work through your chart and have to go through things, and and then ultimately, you can't have the gift of something. It's not a. It's not it's these 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 aspects. And I've had some very difficult people or charts to work with. Um, some are more difficult than others, but they're not death sentences. Right. They're, right. they're not death sentences. Right. And, it's just like, yeah. how do we choose to work with the blueprint? Like, here's what you got. Right. Now, how can you take best advantage of everything you're dealing with? And some shit is harder than others. Like, I've seen some really difficult charts, really difficult charts. And at the end of the day, um, I feel like if you understand your chart and can work within the bounds of your chart, and or the opportunity there's there's things you can get done right yeah, yeah totally yeah um all right so let's take a little little side step um i i know this wasn't initially on the docket but i had sent you the short video of rfk rolling back his support for roger waters which has now continued to escalate into this big kind of Israel, I guess, allegiance. And I'm curious to know, A, your take on it, and B, what I did hear RFK say is like, well, my family has always had a tight relationship with Israel. And so I I started digging around this morning, like, is that true? What was that about? Like, can you catch us up to speed? He's lying through his teeth. Um, So... Well, let me say this: the the answer to that to his uh, the answer to his statement is yes and no. 
Okay. Okay. So in order for uh, John F. Kennedy to get elected, old man Kennedy made deals. Okay. Old man Kennedy knew all the scumbags, right? He basically, so old man Kennedy knew the people that were bringing liquor into the country because they had speakeasies. Now, if you go on the internet, you'll say, well, there's no proof of it ever bullshit, right? The Kennedys were in with people like the Bronfman family, okay? The Bronfmans were bringing Canadian whiskey from Canada into the United States, and the Kennedys were all over it, right? Old man Kennedy also was in the theater business, and they he had movie theaters. He actually lived in L.A. for a while. He, he, he had an affair with some actress. I forget. It was like Greta Garbo or something. Some, some actress that the old man Kennedy had an affair with. But he was in the movie theater business, and through the movie theaters, you know, he met, of course, you know, Jewish Hollywood, right? So they had connections in that world. The Bronfmans clearly are Jewish, um, and so they were they were profiting. The Kennedys were profiting off of these connections mm-hmm. um, in a, in a very uh, fundamental fashion. Right. Not only that, but old man Kennedy was buddies with Rockefeller and, you know, all the kind of the robber baron types. And, uh, and he got, he got all of his stocks out at the same time that they got their stocks out prior to the depression. So the Kennedys are connected in a very, in a very big way. So fast forward and uh, JFK is running for president. So the old man sits down with the mob the Italian mob, and then he sits down with the Jewish mob, who are kind of one and the same, but they have their own operations, right? And he sits down with both of them. He says, "Look, I got to get my kid elected, and I need your help." Let's well, okay, we'll we'll help you. And on on the Jewish mob side, you had like Meyer Lansky, you know, Bugsy Siegel, those people. Uh, on on the Italian side, you had, of course, the the Gambino family, and you know, so he's making deals with these families because he wants his son to get elected. And one of the things that was the stipulation from the Jewish side was that that he would leave Israel alone. Now, remember, Israel had become a nation state in 1948, mm-hmm. and they were once Harry Truman became president, he basically gave them the golden key. Right. He's like, yeah, because that's who got him elected. Harry Truman was a haberdasher, right, from the Midwest. And he was a, 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 a Mason. And he was also, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the guys with the Fez. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. He's one of those guys. Okay. Uh, so, Schreiner, he's a Schreiner. So, he was a Mason and a Schreiner. He's very proud. So once he gets elected, it's like, here you go, Louis Brandeis, you're the first Jewish Supreme Court justice, right? It's like, like, And he's recognizing Israel as a nation state. He's turning over the keys to the United Nations. I mean, Harry Truman's a, a big fucking sellout, right? And he actually probably lost that election. And remember, you know, Dewey wins. He's holding up the newspaper. Uh, well, not so fast, right? So then Ike comes in, and Ike kind of puts everything on chill. Like he's like just, you know, and there's this weird kind of detente with the newly minted nation state of Israel. So then Kennedy comes in and there's 
there are people who believe that Nixon actually won that election. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's not how it turned out. So he gets elected. And the he and he and Bobby immediately turn on the mob. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they also turn on Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh David Ben Gurion fucking hated JFK. And the reason the reason why he hated JFK is because JFK did not want Israel to build their nuclear power plant. I believe it's in Ashkelon, if I'm not mistaken. And he did not want them to do that. So JFK was, was anti-atomic Israel. And he was, so they had a relationship, a lot of antipathy, a lot of antipathy between Israel and JFK. And then you had the mob side and they were fucking pissed. It was like, well, what the hell? You know, a couple of years ago, you were hanging out in Vegas with Sam Giancana and Bobby and Marilyn Monroe and passing her back and forth. And now all of a sudden you're coming after us, right? So both of those guys pissed off the people that got them elected. Now, I don't know why they did that. Um, Maybe because it was their way of running the game and turning the game. Maybe they thought that they had the juice, right? But when you look at the people who were involved in the assassination of JFK, you, you had, you know, Jack Ruby. Jacob Rubenstein, right, who was running a club in Dallas. And um, there had been many people who had connected Jack Ruby with the Mossad. Mm -hmm. So you have all these characters involved in the Kennedy assassination, which start to look very weird at a certain point, Mm -hmm. even even Johnson. And, And there are some people who think that Johnson was actually was actually Jewish. When you look at Johnson, he looks Jewish. And so it's like he might have had his own, like when Johnson here in the state of Texas, like he just opened up the floodgates for uh, Russian Jews to come into like Corpus Christi and Galveston, huge amount of people, right? So there do is- you, a- Do you believe, because I've heard, you know, and like I've heard Mossad killed Kennedy. I've heard CIA- for tuning in to this latest episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am reminding slash thanking you to and for (laughs) clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through a really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannycats.com. 
as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation, you can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannycats at pm.me or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rockin' day. See you next time, superstars.